Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Dr. Kara Pepper is a practicing primary care internist and certified life coach in Atlanta, Georgia. She rebuilt her life and career after burnout and now supports physicians who want to love the life they worked so hard to create. Kara and I have a wonderful and insightful conversation. Take a listen. Welcome, Kara. It's so good to have you here today. Great. Thanks for having me. So you are doing all the things that you're like my mentor and my, my, my Instagram hero. So I can't wait to chat with you a little bit. So tell me all about your life as an imposter. Yeah, well, um, I had this kind of roundabout route to get to medicine. I was a professional ballet dancer before I went back to college. So uh, much like medicine, dance is this hierarchical career. So there's apprentices, intro level dancers, soloist principals, just like we would have med students, residents and attendings. Um, And so there's a lot of proving yourself and are you worth it? And are you talented enough? And so you know, part, there's a lot of perfectionism as we see in medicine, but, you know, basically I started as this imposter thinking like, I'm never going to make it. I've got to, you know, prove myself in this dance arena. Um, And so when I got injured ultimately and could not do professional ballet anymore, I went back to med school um, as a weird plan B and my brain came with me. So, you know, all those same things of wanting to prove yourself and be productive and be successful, all of that was still there. So I spent not one, but two careers feeling like I was an imposter and trying to just prove myself with all this extrinsic validation. So I would say, (laughs) not surprisingly, that's how I coach people around imposter syndrome because it's very personal. Yeah, absolutely. So when did it come up? Like, when did it come to a head for you in your medical career? This, this concern about feeling worthy or not being good enough? Yeah, I think in... uh, uh, residency is really when it became very obvious. I think it's the first time you really have the responsibility you're signing orders. And so, um, appropriately we want to make good decisions and we want to take great care of our patients, but I really felt like I was just one decision away from killing a patient. You know, that's kind of the narrative that I had, like, I just have to be smarter, work harder. And if I can keep up, I can get rid of this like really terrifying feeling. Um, and clearly everyone else is doing great. And I'm the only one who's struggling with these thoughts. That was what I believed at the time. Mm. So it really came up with that acute patient care, but not surprisingly followed me into my practice. So like many of us, I just worked harder to try to overcome that, but there's mm. no threshold of work that will ever put that at rest. Right. So now knowing all that, you know, and with coaching and everything, because what, what's the best advice you give to clients and friends Because this anxiety that, you know, this decision is the most important decision and this is life and death, that feels very productive to most physicians. When in reality, Mm -hmm. in more circumstances Mm -hmm. than not, it's actually very detrimental and it's it's what leads people to want to leave medicine. So how do you kind of work through that with people? Well, um, a couple of ways. The imposterism piece of things, part of it is just recognizing how common it is, especially amongst high achieving women, not just in medicine, and noticing the narrative in your own brain that's driving that thought, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I need to do more in whatever capacity that looks like. And once you recognize that thought pattern that's there, then that's really the first step. 
And then the second is like when that is coming up for you, noticing the things that will drive it and then really questioning it. Like, is that true? How can we know it's true? Is that serving you? Is that helpful? Because of course we want to take excellent care of our patients and we do, but often our brains will fixate on the things that we're not doing well or we're not sure about instead of saying, okay, well, let me learn. Let me get curious about this stuff. We, we tell ourselves, well, it's not, it's not quite enough. You know, we, we don't know what we're doing. If we could just be better then this feeling would go away. Mm -hmm. So it's just getting comfortable with the feeling and not making it mean anything more than it has to. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And I think it's tough because there's this, there's this elusive enoughness, I think, among women physicians in particular that mm -hmm. I've noticed that's really, it's a bottomless pit of, you know, despair, really, because we all, we all feel like that, like, oh, I'm not enough, or I'm not good enough, or smart enough, especially with imposter syndrome. But how often are we asking each other or ourselves, like, who defines enough? How do you know when you're enough? And these things likely have never been considered or defined for ourselves. And that's the problem, I think. Yes, I make my clients literally write out what makes a good whatever, fill in the blank, good mother, good physician, good friend, good spouse, whatever. And then really get gritty about those things and how can you whittle that down to the very core basics. And all of us are far surpassing what that metric is. But our brains tell us, you know, we're, we're working towards the end of the field. And once we get to the end zone, that goalpost just continues to move unless we have very concrete measurements. Mm -hmm. And often the enoughness is solved with just showing up, right? I mean, not showing, showing up when you feel bad, showing up when you're sad, showing up when you're tired, showing up when you're angry. You just show up like that is value right there. And that's not really the message that we're given um, mm -hmm. through our training and through our um, development as women. Absolutely. And how, f how often are you seeing it or have you experienced that this definition of being enough is coming from externally from what the world says we should be doing and instead of what we as an individual feel like is the right thing for our path and our journey? Oh, geez. I mean, I don't even know that I was conscious that that was happening until recent years. Um, but particularly in healthcare, you know, we're measured in grades as undergrads and in med school. You know, once you get into practice, it's RVU driven for most of us. Um, how many patients are you seeing per day? You know, how many cases? What's the wait time to get in? So there's always some sort of metric that we're measuring our um, desirability as a physician. Um, and that, in my opinion, is a very detrimental, um, harmful metric. Yes, it tells us how many patients we're seeing, but it doesn't tell us about the quality of care, who we are as a person, our personal value that's in this world, and really what we need to sustain our careers. So you can see as many RVUs as you want, but there's no RVU for grief or for rest mm -hmm. or for kindness, none of the things that actually make us feel like real humans. You know? Yeah. And you bring up a really good point here in that it's, it's what, how much are we doing that's actually promoting a sustainable career in medicine. And I think what I found early on mm. as an attending was that every, like I was not one iota of my mind was thinking, how can I make this career sustainable for me and make it a 40 year career? It was never about that. And I think that's where we were getting it wrong. 
Yes. And I think the poor millennials are taking a lot of flack for that um, because they're watching us burn out. They're watching us be miserable. They're watching people really struggle and they'll say, you know, I I don't want to do that. I want to work four days a week or I want to create a new way to deliver care. Mm -hmm. And those of us who are still indoctrinated with the old school extrinsic metrics, um, we need to learn from them. Like we need mentors who are under the age of 35 because they really have so much wisdom because they're watching what we're doing wrong and trying to uh, avoid the pitfalls that we've created for ourselves. So I never had a mentor that was saying, hey, I see you're working this hard. I really think you should slow down. I think you need to take a break. Like not once did anyone ever say that or model it. Yeah, and I hope that's changing. And certainly the work that you're doing is, is promoting that for sure. So I want to hear a little bit about how the intersection came for you with going from physician to adding in this life coaching part. Yeah, it came from this place of just epic burnout. You know, I was caught up in this generating RVU mentality and seeing patients and trying to be everything to everyone. You know, as a primary care physician, um, it can be limitless in the amount of what we are able to offer or expect ourselves to deliver. Um, And I have a spouse who travels for a living for his job. And I had two young children and not surprisingly, I just got to this place where I was miserable and it really came from um, my own creation telling myself like, I'm exhausted. This feels terrible. I'm not doing it well enough, you know, et cetera. Um, And the people in the touchdown right next to me were like, I don't understand why you feel so bad. This is the greatest job on the planet. We get paid to take care of people. Um, but I couldn't see that because of the narrative that I had. So I had just this terrible burnout and really got to a place where I just couldn't get out of bed anymore. And so took a sabbatical and coaching found me in that window of time. Um, people were coming to me saying, you know, how did you negotiate that with your practice? How did you do it? I had no idea what I was doing, but coaching in addition to therapy as an adjunct really helped me manage my mind in a way that I had never experienced before and helped me see the suffering that I was creating for myself. And so um, I really started a coaching practice from that space of saying, I don't, I don't want people to be this miserable and we need this in with med students and residents Mm -hmm. and attending. Certainly we're struggling at every level. So that's where it came from. Absolutely. And I think, I think that's, there's a lot of coaches who I think have come to coaching through that experience and myself included. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's this weird place to be in where think like I, I'm so grateful that I went through that because I found this other way, but it's sad too, that there, it's still happening with such high frequency, um, which just means that this is me so needed in medicine today. What's the first, um, like step for someone. So if we have someone listening today, who's just so miserable, they're, they hate their job so much. Like, it's just it, it, dread getting out of bed in the morning. Like what's the number one thing? Like what's the first thing they can do? Yeah. Just like the ABCs of, you know, crisis, like really it may be where I was, where I just needed to like drink some water and sleep more than five hours in a night mm-hmm. and take care of myself and meet my basic needs that they, that were not being met. You know, some people, some people come to me and like you can't talk about mind work at that point. They literally just need to catch their breath. So if that's where your listener is, like just honoring what your body needs and what your soul needs at that point is step one. But once you get to a place where you're not on fire and you can actually start um, working through some of this stuff, part of it's finding someone who gets it, like really getting to a place where you can talk candidly about what's going on with you, 
what you're worried about, where the suffering is coming from, um, and really finding a way forward that is meaningful to you. Because medicine should not be this life sentence that we just say, okay, great, I've, I've put all this work in and now I just, I guess I got to stick with it. I can't ever change my mind. Like this is our precious life and we should be allowed to create whatever we want, whether that's changing jobs, changing careers, stepping in and out of the clinical scenario, that solution is unique to everyone. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised um, to be totally frank, when I started coaching, I was like, great, this is going to be my escape plan for medicine. This feels great. It's everything I love about taking care of people. And the more I coach and get coached, the more I'm able to fall in love with medicine again. Like the side effect of coaching is that I still want to practice medicine, which I'm thrilled about that. So you never know where it's going to take you. But it took me giving myself permission to even explore what that looked like. So that's the next step. Mm -hmm. That's great. I think that's really important. And so as physicians in particular in training and everything, we're, we're taught to ignore a lot of those basic human needs like sleep and mm-hmm. thirst. And I think that it's, we almost really do have to get to a place for some of us where we need to retrain ourselves to say, it's okay to say no to things because of sleep, or it's okay to say, I'm going to take a minute to have a glass of water and it's, it's kind of sad, but it's like those basic things almost have to be retaught to some physicians. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to go to the bathroom. We're allowed to empty our bladders during the day. (laughs) Right. 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 So what is the best tool that you use continually when it comes to imposter syndrome, because we know that those thoughts are just there in the brains of human beings. And um, what do you, what's the best trick that you have for combating that imposter syndrome? So I'm a data person. And, you know, when you see things in black and white, it's very helpful. Um, So there's, there's, there are tools, actually, they're developed here in Atlanta, where I'm living and practicing um, at Georgia State University. So there's a way to measure imposter syndrome, which, you know, we all like to get A's on our tests. So when you see like you have a high level of imposterism, like, okay, that's helpful. So that's one. Um, I have a CME course that I, a talk that I do around imposter syndrome. So it talks about the different types of imposters that are out there. So that's like another tool to just illustrate what we're um, feeling and seeing. Um, and then in terms of once the recognition is there and then getting comfortable just talking about that, because there's so much shame, I think, for people who are like never feeling like they're quite enough and never feeling like, you know, they're measuring up that deep sense of shame and getting comfortable just even having a conversation around that is the next step. And then really like compassionately and lovingly, like looking at those thoughts and really starting to hack away at them. How can you prove that they are not always true? And then lastly, like normalizing that these thoughts are just hardwired in your brain and they're going to be there for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. But your power and control really comes from choosing whether you act on them and choosing whether or not you're going to believe them and if that's creating the life that you want for you. That's perfect. I love all those things and I've used them on a daily basis. And I will say that talking, especially using this podcast has been really actually more therapeutic for me than I thought it would be Mm -hmm. because I had gotten used to to talking about imposter syndrome and and in particular my imposter syndrome for a long time. But being able to openly like even kind of jokingly say like, oh yeah, these thoughts come up. It's like taking a flashlight into the corner of a room and shining it on something. And it sounds so simple, but 
it really, it makes such a huge difference, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think most women, when they start doing this work, they say, okay, yeah, I have imposter syndrome. But like, I have the real imposter syndrome. I know you say 80% of people have it, but like no one else has it as bad as me. Like I'm actually an imposter, right? It's like a meta imposterism. So, so, so in our roles as leaders, especially when there's a new person coming into your practice or if you're working with trainees to really just own like, yeah, I didn't know the answer to that. Or let me tell you the story when I made this huge mistake and just normalizing our own humanity and that we make mistakes and we don't have to have all the answers. Because when I would look towards my mentors, I would just think they knew everything. And clearly that's why I was feeling the way that I was. Um, so part of it is just normalizing that we all have it. And then going and saying like, no, you're not still an imposter just because you think you're the biggest imposter there is. Right. 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 It's not you. Right. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for all your insight tonight. Do you mind, um, I'm going to leave all your information in the show notes, but do you mind letting people know how they can work with you right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm easy to find on social media, Kara Pepper MD. Um, and then my website, similarly named karapeppermd.com. Um, I have one-on-one clients that I work with and also groups. And so I'm launching a big program in January for women who have checked all the boxes and they're wondering what's next. Like I, you know, feel like I should feel good in this life that I've worked really hard for, but there's just something that I want more for myself. And so it's really, it's a group and one-on-one coaching experience where we're going to like dig deep into all these topics that we just talked about, dream about what the future will look like, have amazing guest speakers and really develop this community of support. So I'm so, so, so excited about it. It's going to be so fun. That sounds awesome. And I remember thinking when I was uh, attending, like when I first graduated, that thinking like, now what? you know, mm-hmm. and thinking that you're going to, you've made it and this is it. And that, so that sounds like a program that is going to, I mean, it's going to change lives for sure. I'm really excited. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. It was great chatting with you. Thanks. Thanks.